A good near of Shabbos to our friends and members of the West Mount Shul. <clears throat> this week, you've heard in the news for the last week and a half or so, and especially the last few days on the weather, it's talking about the smoky weather that we have. And there's various weather warnings, people with respiratory problems, Loaleno. Seems there's a lot of fires in Canada lately, a lot of fires in the United States. And, of course, our job is to understand that everything in this world comes from Hashem. And there's no coincidence that in this week's Parsha, there's a lot of discussion of fire over here. But I'm going to limit it to one issue of fire. And what perhaps the message of the Torah is for us. The, the, this piece I'm going to share with you is from the Nesivas Shalom. And Parshas Balozcha, page Nun Beis. As the Jews are leaving Sinai, they've made their first trip. Hashem miraculously has the Jews travel in three days, a very great um, a stretch of uh, ter- territory. And the Pusik says, Vayehi ha'am, and the people were kimmis onanim, like complainers. Ra, evil, bosnei Hashem. In the years of Hashem, and Hashem heard that, and he was very angry, and he brought a fire upon them. And the people ran to Moshe, and they pleaded with him, and he prayed, and the fire abated, but was still lingering at the edges of the camp. So the commentaries try to understand, what were they complaining about? number of answers. Rashi says that they were complaining Loshan Alila, looking for a pretext. They wanted a pretext how they could separate from away from Hashem. And what was the pretext? Oh man, this trip is so hard. You're working this so hard. Three days without a break. But the Medrash says that Hashem meant it for our good to get us quicker to Eretz Yisrael. And the Jews uh, didn't like that. Ramban says that as they left Har Sinai, which was closer to some habitation, they're now going into the depth of the deserted desert, and they were painting themselves. What's going to be? How are we going to live in the desert? We're not near anybody else. And that was evil in Hashem's eyes, says the Ramban, because they should have gone after Hashem with joy and a good heart from all the good that Hashem gave and is giving them. And they're acting as if they're almost captives. And they're forced to do this. So their sin was of a lack of joy and trust in Hashem. They should have believed that Hashem is helping them with a tremendous hashkacha. These are the two primary commentaries. And the Slonimer Rebbe asks an obvious question. Okay, it's a sin, but is it so terrible that Hashem should burn people up? Is that how, is that the quid pro quo? And later on, when the people, a few seconds later, are lusting for meat, it says Hashem was very angry. And then it says Hashem hits them with a makarabama, oh, a very great punishment with the quails that are coming out of their noses. So, like, is it such a terrible sin to want to have some rib steaks? They wanted kosher meats. What's Hashem so upset about? 
And the Slonim Rebbe says an incredible idea. He brings down from the holy books that all the 613 mitzvahs that we as Jews do, the whole point of Torah is to prepare us to loving the mitzvah of loving Hashem and to cleave to Hashem. The purpose of all mitzvahs is that we should cleave to Hashem and as the Svarma Kadoshim write, the 613 mitzvahs are like 613 eitzes, ideas and methods to bring us to Dvekas Tashem. As the as the Magid says in the third chapter in Avos, he says the famous story with Hillel and the potential convert who said, teach me the Torah on one leg. And what did Hillel say? He says, that which is hurtful to you, don't do to others. This is the whole Torah, everything else is a commentary. And the Kashat Sermagat explains that what was it that the convert was really asking for? One foot? He said, I want to know one basic rule, and from that rule, everything I will do will have to conform to that. What I do, what I don't, what's the general, it's going to be one basic fundamental concept that everything else rotates around. And he said, you want to know the whole Torah? What's hurtful to you, don't do to others. Meaning to say, what is hurtful with your ability to connect and cleave to Hashem, that you should not do. Every action that a person does, he has to think only about one thing. Will this behavior bring me closer to Hashem or God forbid, distance me from Hashem. So therefore, that which is hurtful to your camaraderie with Hashem, do not do. This is the fundamental of all of Torah and Hasidus, that everything is measured through this barometer. Will it bring us closer to Hashem or move us away from Hashem? With this idea, we can understand the Parsha, because we said, what was so bad about complaining? People complain, so I want some meat. There's not such terrible sins. So what was the criticism? Is because a sin is is, is considered a, a more um, serious offense. It depends on one thing. How far does it distance you from Hashem? And the more that the sin distance you from Hashem, and it's more <clears throat> uh, polarically against cleaving to Hashem, that makes it a bigger sin. And therefore, it's not what you do, but it's how much that distances you from that reality. So what did Rashi say? They were looking for a pretext. They want to separate from Hashem. They wanted to, not to totally give up Hashem, but to have their own space. They felt Yiddishkeit is okay, you give us some laws, you give us some rules, that's fine. We'll, we'll meet up with you once in a while on a Shabbos and a Yantel, but leave us alone, let us be on our own. We don't want all this Tveikas business. And that's the whole, the whole Yiddishkeit is Tveikas. And if you don't want to be close to Hashem, then whatever you're doing is, is a big offense. Not an offense in terms of you've um, hurt Hashem. No, it means the whole reason of being a Jew does not exist. The whole point is how close do you feel to Hashem when you're doing mitzvahs? And even according to Ramban, who says they should have trusted Hashem and gone after Hashem with joy and a good heart. 
and they were complaining about what was Hashem doing for them. That's also not being happy means you don't feel close to Hashem. And these are two critical components. The more that a person says, I need my space from Hashem. And the more that a person is that thrilled and excited to be with Hashem. To that degree, that's the opposite of what Hashem wants. And that's the severity. Remember, a sin, a hate means you're missing the mark. There's something missing in the relationship. If you don't want to be with somebody all the time, the relationship can't be that good. If you're not happy being with somebody, the relation's not that good. So although maybe technically, if you want to look at it uh, from the, the letter of the law, is being grumpy a terrible thing? Is wanting to have uh, food, a lot of food, a terrible thing? No, but it's what's behind it. And therefore, it's very interesting. We're going to find a very ironic thing. Bilam, the wicked Bilam, when he looked at the Jewish people, he said, Lo, he beat oven the Yaakov. Hashem does not look at the sin in Yaakov. Hashem, Hashem, his God is with him. What does it mean Hashem doesn't look at our sins? We know Hashem doesn't overlook our sins. But the point is like this. If the whole point of the 630 misses is to cleave to Hashem, and every Avera really measures by how it distances us. So let's think of a possible, very interesting, opposite idea. Let's say a Jew is in the middle of sinning against Hashem. But as he's sinning, he feels terrible that he's sinning. His heart is broken that he's going against the will of Hashem because I just can't control myself. He feels terrible that he's falling away from Hashem, but I just don't have the power to overcome myself. So guess what? He's not separating from Hashem, even when he's doing the Aveira. Because even then his sin is broken, and Hashem is with him. And that's what it means. Hashem does not see the sin in Yaakov. When a Jew still feels, I have that connection to Hashem, even though I'm sinning, and I know when I'm sinning. I know this is terrible, because I really would rather be with you, Hashem. That is, Hashem will not be, that. of course, Hashem will have to deal with us. He's not going to let us go scot-free. But think about it. If a person is doing a mitzvah, and the way he does the mitzvah is in a minimalistic way that you really are trying to get away from Hashem as much as possible. You go to a minion that zips through the davening, such that I can get out of shul faster, versus a fellow who does a sin, but feels terrible about it, who is better off at the end? Sounds very ironic, but the person really feels bad. As one great Hasidic Rebbe said, you know, I'm never gonna assume that I can teach my, my students to not sin. But one thing I want to be able to succeed it, that when they sin, they won't enjoy it. That's the assault. And now we understand when it says, om." Evil in the eyes, in the ears of Hashem. Because these sins were the opposite. They were looking for a pretext to separate from Hashem. And that is Ra. Ra, Reish Ayin, means Kulo Ra, all evil, with not even a little bit of good. It's worse than the word, like Russia. A Russia, you know, is Ra, but there's a shin in between. 
And what's the shin in between? The shin with the three uh, posts that go up is symbolic of Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov. There's a Russia who maybe does Ra on the outside, but on the inside, he feels terrible that he's a descendant of Avram Yitzhak and he sins. Well, a person who's Ra, there's not even a shin inside of that. Like you have when the Torah talks about air, Bechorah, he did Ra, Bene Hashem. Where the Ra means what's what's inherent evil is that you want to not be close to Hashem. And that's what Ramban is saying. Hashem did all kinds of miracles for them. Hashem is going out of his way to woo us and to court us and to be close to us. And what do we say? Spare me all the miracles. Let me be on my own. That is a terrible, terrible thing. And you want to be away from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So then Hashem says, okay. But you know what? That's not good. And therefore the great fire raged and destroyed them. And now, the, and then the next passage, it says, it talks about the, the people who lusted. With an hand. As if it's a continuation of the story. And they say, we want to have meat. And the question, were they really missing meat? Remember, the month tastes like anything you wanted. So why can't they just uh, tell I want to have a rib steak in the month? But the answer, as many say, is that they weren't lusting for the meat. Hisavu, taiva, means they lusted to lust. They wanted, the mun would not, mun was so holy, after you ate it, you didn't feel like you were pigging out, and you wouldn't be desirous of continuing to pig out. But with regular food, you eat a good piece of chocolate cake, all you want is to have more chocolate cake. They wanted to have a, a, a live animal to shecht, and that they'd be able to eat it and have more tivas and more tivas. And what does that mean? When a person has taivas, that's something you can focus on besides Hashem. When you're living with Hashem, you're not interested in taivas. When you're interested in taivas, you're not interested in Hashem. If you're not having a relationship with Hashem, you have to at least have a relationship with a good chocolate Danish. With a good pizza. Oh, mamish. I'm mamish. I'm engorging myself with this. And that is another sin like that. That's much worse than people who run after Averos, but they're still feeling terrible doing that. He feels subrochen when he does the Avera. That's why it says v'ha'asafsuf. And the rabble. They added on because what? Because Avera goreris Avera, one sin leads to another. In the beginning, the people were kemisonanim, like complainers, evil in the eyes of Hashem. Started off with, we want to be far away from Hashem. That's all. We're card-carrying Jews. We're going to keep the mitzvah, but not so close to Hashem, please. Let's not be that close. I'm not that happy being a Jew. I'm not that happy being close to you, but I'll follow the Torah. The answer is that cannot be. Once that comes out, then all of a sudden you start lusting for everything else. And therefore, as we said, the sin isn't measured by how terrible it is in the eyes of people but rather how does it distance you from Hashem? That's an important thing. And if you really feel bad when you're doing Averos, Hashem is still with you. And if he's still with you, tshuva is a lot easier to do because tshuva is to return to Hashem. So if a person is sinning, but he feels terrible, that means he feels connected to Hashem, but he's just betraying Hashem, but he realizes Hashem is there. 
then tshuva can happen quicker than you think. But if you want to be far away from Hashem, it's not an easy thing to bring a person back to HaKadosh Baruch So as we look at the world today, what we say is one of the greatest sicknesses of the world is that the world does not want to be close to God. That's all there is to it. They do not want to be close to God. And as a result of not wanting to be close to God, then you want to go after every tithe in the book. This is exactly what society is having. And Hashem is telling them loud and clear, you know different than this week's Parsha, and therefore you have all kinds of fires. All kinds of fires are going to be raging. And the fires sometimes are at the edge of the camp where Hashem is saying, I'm still not happy, but I, I listen to the prayers of Moshe. I'll, I'll put things on hold. But then what happens, they want more tithes and more tithes. And ultimately, the tithes destroyed themselves. There are all kinds of addictions in this world. The worst addiction is an addiction to taiva, whatever the taiva is. And you want to be involved in that taiva so you forget completely about Hashem. That's the critical point we have to realize. Let me share with you two stories that I think are very appropriate. One is more famous than the other. And it's about a story of a young girl in the early 1900s who had to leave her religious family to come to America. She would go ahead of her family, a young girl. Her name was Rose. And as she's about to leave her family, she's going on the ship and the father is saying, he's telling her, remember you're a Jew. He says, Rose, my kind, remember Hashem is watching you over you every step of the way, remembers his laws and keep them well. Never forget that more than the Jews have kept the Shabbos, the Shabbos has kept the Jews. Oh, be hard in the new land. Don't forget who you are. Keep the Shabbos no matter what sacrifice you have to make. So Rose gets on the boat. She comes to America. Life in America was new and strange. And Polish mannerisms were quickly shed along with religion. Modesty, keeping kosher and Torah were abandoned together with the outmoded clothing and accent. Rose's relatives insisted religion was old-fashioned and an unnecessary accessory in America. But Rose never forgot her father's parting words. She may have put on the new clothes her relatives gave her, cut her hair to suit the fashion, but she never gave up on the Shabbos. And every week without fail, Rose devised a new excuse for her boss to explain why she didn't come to work on Saturday. One week she had a toothache, another week her stomach bothered her. After three weeks, the foreman grew wise and he called Rose over and says, listen, he says, I like your work and I like you, but this Sabbath business has got to stop. Either you come in this Saturday or you can look for a new job. So when they heard this development, Rose's relatives were adamant that you have to work on Shabbos. There's no such thing as not. And they applied pressure. They pleaded. They enticed. And she was so young and so vulnerable. She wanted to please her relatives. She was thankful to them, but her father's words kept echoing in her head. What should she do? The whole week passed and her head's in a tizzy. On the one hand, Tati's not here to help me be strong. 
And I do want to please my new friends. I want friends. I want to fit into this new land. On the other hand, how can I forget the Sabbath? How can I give up the beautiful Shabbos that Tati taught me? Rose, sweetheart, listen to us. It's for your own good. On and on went their relatives until Rose's determination was wavering. So on Friday, Rose walked to work, lunch bag in hand and head stooped in thought. She sat the whole day in the machine, by the machine. Decision time was nearing. Anyway, you got to remember, this was the great confusion. Remember back in those days, Shabbos in America was not like the warm day that Rose knew at home. And this week was her worst. She lacked the courage to face her relatives and tell her of her resolve. Instead, on Saturday morning, she left the house in the morning, pretending to head for work. Back and forth through the streets of Manhattan, she paced together with the city pigeons. She rested in Tompkins Square Park, saying, Tati, this song is for you, she whispered, and the pigeons ruffled their feathers. And she sings, Yona Matzabo Manoach, and the Shabbos the dove found rest. There she sat among the pigeons, singing the traditional Shabbos songs with tears in her eyes and sobs between the verses. A whole day she's in the park and when three stars finally peeked out from the black sky announcing the end of the Shabbos, the moon shone down on a weary girl and bathed her face in its glow and Rose had triumphed. But her victory would cost her dearly. She had no job and had alienated her family. She says, Now it's time to face the music. Rose trudged homeward, dreading the nasty scene that's going to happen. And as she neared home, a shout broke out into her. And she hears her house, Rose, what, what, I mean, how are you? Where were you? Rose looked up at her cousin, Joe. She doesn't know what he means. She says, Joe, what will become of me? I kept Shabbos and I lost my job. Now everyone's going to be angry and disappointed with me. Oh, Joe, what will I do? And Joe looked at her strangely. He says, Rose, didn't you hear? Hear what? There was an awful fire in the factory. Only 40 people survived. There was no way out of the building. People even jumped to their deaths. Rosie, don't you see, because you kept the Shabbos, you're alive. Because of your Shabbos, you survived. And that was unfortunately that famous fire that happened years ago, where out of a hundred and was on Saturday, March 25th, 1911, in the infamous Triangle Shirtwaist Factory. Out of 190 workers, Rose Goldstein was among the minority who survived. It claimed the lives of 146 immigrant workers because of the terrible, unsafe conditions. But since it was Shabbos, she was alive. Rabbi Sai, there's so much pain, so much suffering, so many fires. We gotta re realize, it's not about the mitzvahs and averos alone. It's about the feeling of closeness. And Rose felt, how can I, I've done so many other things. 
I've given up so much of Yiddishkeit, but that final straw of closeness, how can I not keep that? So that's what we have to think about as we, on this Shabbos, to think what is really important to me and what things do I do are bringing me closer to Hashem or are bringing me further away from Hashem. And we shouldn't give up, and I'll close with a much shorter story. There's a very famous story about a Chabad rabbi, Rab Hillel of Parich. And uh, he was a great, great holy man. And, uh, and he lived in Parich. And there was another fellow who was the big sinner of the city. And he had a great chutzpah. And the sinner was known as being a great baltaiva, filled his whole days with eating delicacies morning to night, whether kosher or not. He chases after the lust of women without any kind of control, a womanizer, no control over his vulgar mouth and obscene activities, totally the opposite of Rav Hillel of Parich, who's one of the great Hasidic mashpim. So one day this man approached Rav Hillel in a public form and told him the following with chutzpah. There's no difference between me, you and me in the eyes of God. <laughs> Rav Hillel was surprised. The man told him why. What's the difference between you and me? I have my passions and desires and chase after them day and night. And you have your passions and desires and chase after them day and night. All in all, we're both filled with the fire of passion and desire to fulfill our pleasures and do a good job at fulfilling it. You desire God while I desire sin. Now explain to me why God should reward you any more than me. Why should you get rewarded for giving in to your passions and lusts of spirituality? Well, I get punished for giving in to mine. Is it my fault that I have these lusts and get punished for succumbing to them? Well, you are lucky enough to be born with lusts for God and will thereby get rewarded for chasing after them. I don't think it's fair and I don't think God agrees either. Whoa! Rav Hillel waited patiently for him to conclude his remarks and he responded to him with a smile as follows. Ideally, you are correct that we are both considered Bali Taiva, people who chase after our lusts and passions from day to night. Remember, there's only one difference that you forgot to mention. And that is how I started off. I did not start off being born with a great lust and passion for holiness and for God. On the contrary, I was born with the same animal soul as you, that has lusts and desires for the physical and corporal pleasures of this world. But I worked on myself for years to control these passions and lusts and convert them into a passion and lust for the divine. It is that, that I will be rewarded for by God. Not the fact that I now chase after my pleasures for him, but rather the fact that I completely changed my character and nature to change it from the lust for sin to the lust for Hashem. And thus, while now we may both look the same as you presented, in truth, there's a great difference between us, even in the eyes of Hashem. Those powerful words of Rab fell into the coarse and rebellious heart of that person and broke them to the point that he resolved to change 
not to stop desiring pleasure, but rather to simply change the goal of his pleasure. And his pleasure will be in Hashem rather than in sin. So our boys say this is a great Shabbos to smell the smoke, realize there's fires of passions all around. Yiddishkeit is not asking you to get rid of your passions, but just to adjust them. Adjust them to passions that will bring you closer to Hashem, but not further away from Hashem. And who knows what blessings will come, what sorrows and suffering will be avoided when we shift our passions towards HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Hashem will focus His passion to us, will keep protecting us until Mashiach will come. Thank you all for listening. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Hope to see you soon.